Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mack. On today's show, Democrats prepare for a 100-year flood, and the trade war takes another big bite out of tech. But first, a mega merger mess. So it's now been over a year since T-Mobile US announced plans to buy Sprint for $26.5 billion in a move that would reduce the country's number of major national mobile carriers from four to three. Shortly after the announcement, CEOs for both companies sounded very, very confident in a conference call, not only because they pledged not to raise prices for three years, but also because they seem to have devised a PR strategy that mirrored Trump administration rhetoric in terms of broadband for rural America and increased jobs and the importance of 5G networking. And in keeping with this strategy, reports later emerged that T-Mobile executives were sure to stay at Trump's D.C. hotel when visiting the city, spending nearly $200,000. In short, this wasn't supposed to be a replay of AT&T buying Time Warner when the two companies had to spend lots of time and money fighting White House objections or even T-Mobile and Sprint's prior merger talks, which were scrapped after President Obama signaled disapproval. These companies were going to get the big man on board, even if he had a history of pre-presidential tweets that disparaged T-Mobile service. And everything did seem to be moving in that direction. On Monday morning, the FCC signaled it would approve the deal following some small concessions like the divestiture of Boost Mobile and reiteration of that temporary price freeze. But then, just hours later, Bloomberg reported that the Department of Justice was leaning against approval, thus throwing everything back into limbo. And the Bloomberg report came a month after the Journal had reported something similar, but then T-Mobile's CEO had denied it entirely, thus making people think the DOJ objections weren't legitimate. The bottom line here is that this merger has huge implications for how all of us get our mobile service in the future and how the U.S. maintains competitiveness with China. It also could prove or disprove the theory that cozying up to the White House is a smart strategy for getting your multi-billion dollar deal approved. But all of that now needs to wait for the Department of Justice to have its say. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Axios Managing Editor Kim Hart. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios Managing Editor Kim Hart. So, Kim, the FCC signals it's going to approve this deal, but the Department of Justice doesn't join in on that. That's unusual. That's weird, right? Don't they often kind of work in tandem? It's very unusual. In fact, I can't remember a time in the past couple of decades where that's happened. It may never have happened, actually. Usually, the FCC and the DOJ share a lot of information through these review processes. They talk. They talk about their specific concerns, what uh, each one of them are looking at for their particular ways that they look at competitive impacts of a merger. Actually, talk about that quickly. What's the difference between what the FCC cares about and what the DOJ cares about? Sure. So, the DOJ specifically looks at antitrust rules. And what that means is what the impact of a merger would be on consumers. Usually that means whether a merger would raise prices. So if you're removing competitors from a marketplace, that usually means that some sort of price increase will come or some loss of choice for consumers. So that's really the benchmark that the DOJ uses. They do a lot of data. They look at what the market is, how it's changed, where it's going, what their larger competitive landscape is. And of course, in the telecom world, that's become much broader. It's not as silent 
siloed as everything converges. But the FCC has a different standard that they look at. That's called the public interest standard. That's more squishy. You can kind of make that into whatever you want to make that in. Public interest can be anything from making sure that there's broadband deployment or what it means for making speeds faster for certain households. So the FCC has typically done is looked at how can a merger, if we generally think that it's okay and wouldn't be really catastrophic for competition, what can we do to make it more amenable to some things that we care about? So broadband deployment has been one. And they talked about that yesterday, particularly rural deployment. On the pricing side, so so T-Mobile and Sprint have said uh, for a while now they won't raise price for three years. And they reiterated that and the FCC highlighted that. From your perspective, is that good enough? If I'm DOJ, do I say, oh, great, so through whatever, 2022, they won't raise prices if they could then double them in 2023? I mean, that seems like a very short-term thing. It is a very short-term thing. That's what a lot of the critics have raised. And really, three years is not that long. And in a market that's changing this fast with uh, so many other players, you've got cable, you've got you know media companies all trying to get into different parts of the broadband delivery business, even the platforms are. Does that play, though, for T-Mobile and Sprint? I keep thinking AT&T, but T-Mobile and Sprint, in that, you know, we talk about this as, you know, major mobile carriers are going to go from four to three, so Mm -hmm. that's less competition, but as you say, lots of other types, including large companies with big bankrolls, are getting into pieces of this business. Still, though, it's all about the infrastructure. There are still only four companies right now that have a national infrastructure that can provide wireless service on a national basis across all cities, and in rural areas, too. And when you add the 5G component in that, and that's where that's the wrinkle that makes this one really interesting. There really aren't any other players who can provide 5G at the nationwide level. It's still unclear whether each provider that are currently promising to do it can. But that is where the politics come in. So the reason that Sprint and T-Mobile shrewdly said, hey guys, hey White House, hey DOJ, if you want to actually beat China in getting to 5G first, you should approve this merger. Because with our spectrum assets, which are huge between the two of them, it's particularly T-Mobile. They have a huge amount of low band spectrum that will be very key. Then you should approve our merger because it's going to be very difficult for us to do it on our own. Speaking of 5G and broadband, we talked on Monday about trade wars in Huawei, which provides a lot of components in theory for 5G, at least in China. Do either T-Mobile or Sprint rely on Huawei or have they relied on Huawei parts? No, none of the major four carriers. So that's AT&T, Verizon, Sprint and T-Mobile. None of them rely on Huawei components. Now, some rural networks in the U.S. do because Huawei components are cheaper than Ericsson or Nokia and the other European companies that the major carriers rely on. It's interesting. Back in April, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal. And the story basically said, Department of Justice is not thrilled with this deal, with this merger, and they will want structural changes in order to approve it. And T-Mobile U.S.'s CEO, he tweeted out, the premise of the story is wrong. And he said the premise of the story is wrong, not the specific, not, you know, he didn't take a little piece. If DOJ is indeed wants structural changes, even if they accept the ones that were offered to the FCC, which are structural changes, there's a divestiture in there. Doesn't that mean the CEO of a publicly traded company lied? I mean, it's possible. I think materially we, lied about it, a material thing. The stock went up after he tweeted that. It's definitely possible. I mean, I don't think we'll know exactly until we finally hear what the DOJ has concerns about and when exactly they had those concerns. So there's a lot of that all comes back to the timeline. Like when did certain concerns come up and how serious were they at what point in time? And so final question on that is how do 
we find that out? In other words, DOJ doesn't have to come out. Am I right in saying DOJ doesn't have to come out and say everything's good? They really more just come out and say if there's a problem, right? Right. The way that the DOJ would stop a merger that they have concerns with is to sue to block it or to proactively challenge it. If they don't, that means that they'll basically say, okay, we don't have an issue with this. The merger can move on. But if they do want a structural change, that will probably be handled in some sort of settlement that handled directly with the companies. And Macon Delrahim, the antitrust chief, has said that he's not a fan of behavioral remedies to address any concerns. And a lot of those are what they promised to the FCC, like certain broadband build out. Even the price freeze is more behavioral than structural. And I'm actually surprised that there have been no talks of spectrum divestitures, given the amount of spectrum that Sprint and T-Mobile have. They're really big, big stores of spectrum that are going to be key for specific technologies. And that hasn't been discussed. So there could be some talk about that at the DOJ. However, I'm not sure how much that actually directly gets at the point that we're fundamentally going from four carriers to three. And that's going to be a huge competitive shift. Kim Hart, Managing Editor of Axios. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. My final two right after this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is talk that turnout for the 2020 presidential elections could be at their highest level in over a century, at least in terms of percentage. As Axios' Lexi McCammon puts it, this could be a 100-year flood that should be causing some heartburn in the White House. At least that's a prediction of Michael McDonald, an election expert at the University of Florida who's basing his numbers on last year's midterms turnout. Why it could be bad news for Team Trump isn't just because Democrats won those midterms, but because the underlying data shows the increased turnout was, in part, due to Trump's own unfavorables. In other words, people got off the couch to vote against him. Moreover, Trump's own core demographics are actually decreasing. For example, the share of white voters with less than a four-year college degree dropped by 3% between 2014 and 2018. The bottom line? Crowd size, at least on election day, matters. And finally, the trade war might be about to take another big bite out of tech, with the New York Times reporting last night that the White House is considering a ban on Hikvision, a Chinese manufacturer of video surveillance equipment, from buying any U.S. components. Bloomberg adds that four other Chinese tech companies could soon face similar restrictions on top of the recent actions against Huawei. The bottom line here is that no part of either economy has grown faster than technology, thanks largely to trade. But now that interconnectedness could cause lots of pain on both sides of the Pacific. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Craft Distillery Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.